Hello and welcome to the Silver Linings Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Stevens, and today's show is one of the most rewarding conversations I think I may have ever had. It was somehow incredibly difficult, while also being uplifting and inspiring at the same time. My guest is Melanie Day, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given five years to live. If you really want to put things in perspective, this will do it for you, I promise. Um, But I do think you will really enjoy it. I think you will really enjoy getting to know Melanie and the person that she is and this perspective that she has gained through this incredibly trying experience. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Melanie Day. Okay, we are here live with our next guest for the podcast. This is Melanie Day. Melanie, thank you um, for coming on and doing this podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. So we had we did not know each other before this. This is the yeah. first time we've sat down and talked, really. Um, I already through, like you. So. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, it was through mutual friends that knew and um, I think had played sports with you at BYU and stuff like that and had this mutual connection and just said, this is a story I think is definitely worth sharing on the podcast and coming on. So again, thank you for being willing to come on and do this. I know it's sometimes can be challenging or difficult to talk about yourself and tell your story, but um, I think this, people will benefit from this. So to start out, like we always do, I ask every guest the same three questions. Who are you, what do you do, and what happened to you? So um, feel free to take it away and, and give everyone your short story there. Yeah, I am uh, Melanie Day, and I am a mom to three little kids who drive me crazy. But I love them. Um, and I'm married. And I live in Utah only by circumstance. Not necessarily by choice. <laughs> um, and I take care of my kids all day. Um, and I also have just started a new little uh, business, if you will, with my daughter. Um, so we're going to be selling uh, gift boxes. So... That's something we just started that we're excited about in our family. And I am a cancer fighter. I uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer about four or five years ago, and I've been fighting it ever since. Um, And I just know that time is valuable and it's precious. And I know that more so now because of cancer um, than I would have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now everyone at least quick synopsis there and they know, but, um, you've got a great personality about this and like you think someone who's been diagnosed with something so serious might be, you know, have a different viewpoint on that. I'm just curious as like, as a kickoff for this, what do you think it is about yourself that allows you to maintain this outlook on life? Is that just who you are or is there something specific with this? Do you think? So I think there's a few things. I um, I think it is my natural personality, but um, not to boast about myself right now. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's taken time to get there. It's not something that was, I have cancer. Oh, it's everything's going to be okay. Peachy king. You know, it mm-hmm. was something that evolved. Yeah. And through time, um, through conversations with close uh, friends... Uh, through, you know, the knowledge, through my belief system, um, and really taking a good look at that. Like, do I, do I really believe what I have always said that I believed? Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've had to take a deeper look at that to know, um, to know, you know, what is, what is it that I believe will happen when I die? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that affect me? Yeah. And how should I live now? Yeah. So I can prepare prepare for that, no yeah. matter what, no matter if I'm taken soon or if I live to be an old grandma. Yeah. And so I think, um, I think that's just it. You know, part of it is my um, sparkling personality, and part of it is you know time, and it hasn't evolved into what it is. I'm at peace with things, and be- the reason I'm at peace with it is because of my belief system. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, yeah. there's hard days too, where I'm, um, I really struggle with it. Uh-huh. Um, but for the most part, I, uh, am blessed to have that peace. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, and I think part of that probably has to do with 
who you are as a person, things that that have shaped you to that point as well. So let's to let everyone know a little bit more about who you are and stuff like mm. that. So the one I know from the biggest is that is you played basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a basketball player, that, and I bet that was a big part of your life. For sure. Right? Is that kind of some uh, one of the things that you think defines in who you are? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I grew up playing basketball. I love playing sports. Um, I played at uh, UCLA out of high school and then BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and it taught me a lot. Uh, it taught me a, a lot about being a teammate, you know, and, and being a friend. And um, But also to, like, dig down and fight through hard times. Yeah. It's, you know, my mom has often said to me, um, I mean, for example, I remember before I was going into surgery, um, and when I was, and that was when I was uh, going through chemo as Mm -hmm. well. You know, she said to me, it's the fourth quarter, you need to step up and, um, and give it all you've got. And, well, I'm not physically doing that uh, as I was in basketball and as an athlete. Physically fighting and working through things, it's more mentally, yeah. emotionally, mm-hmm. and learning to fight to the pain. Um, and uh, it's definitely a, a it's definitely helped me uh, as a former athlete to fight through pain and um and know that I can I can overcome anything. I can get through hard things because I feel like I have done that already mm-hmm. through uh basketball, through training and practice and all those times we had to run lines and we're so exhausted. That yeah. Because I've had that, I feel like that's really helped me to persevere through the hard times as yeah. a cancer patient. Yeah, absolutely. Well I imagine it being an athlete all that time too, like you, you are good at the physical aspect of it. Mm. Sometimes the mental part is right. the harder of mm-hmm. the two, right? I mean, there's no way to really master that necessarily. You practice it, but it can be a tough thing to For get sure. a hold of. I mean, just as an example, um, I, the pain of everything I've been through hasn't, I mean, it's been hard, but the mental aspect, like going into surgery, I freak out. I get a ton of anxiety. Really? Um, Were you but, like that as a, as a player? Did you do that before games and stuff? Did you get nervous? Or I get nervous, that... sure. I think I think everyone does, uh-huh. whether they tell you or not. Yeah. They do. But it goes away once the game starts. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just mentally knowing what's going to happen in this in the OR is, is frightening. Yeah. And so I had a lot of anxiety over it. And so mentally getting through that was a lot harder than, you know, sometimes the physical pain. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. So then, okay, the other question I have as a follow-up to what you said in the beginning. One of the biggest trials it sounds like you're facing is having to live in Utah as being someone from California. <laughs> <laughs> you told me before, so you're from, you originally from Irvine, California, yeah, correct? Yeah. Which I don't know what the California people coming to Utah always seem to have that same attitude. Like, I don't yeah. know what we're doing here. <laughs> I know, but there's a number of us here now. So it's kind of funny. It's just so expensive in California. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I've learned to like it here. Yeah. It's different than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And there's actually quite a few Californians here and, We've really enjoyed it. We've had we live in a great neighborhood for our kids, yeah. and um, it's just cold, really cold. Yeah. And dark in the winter, <laughs> and um, you know it's more hot in the summer, but uh, yeah. we like it. You yeah. Know? So when and then so let's tell me getting into your family life and stuff like that. When at what point during that from UCLA to BYU or after did you meet your husband? Yeah, so I went to BYU after my mission. Okay. I served an LDS mission to Got Portugal. It. And when I came back, I went to BYU in Utah. And then after that, I took a job coaching at UNLV. So I was in Vegas actually for about seven years. Um, I met my husband about four years into living there. And um, he was in undergrad. So I'm eight years older than him. Oh, wow. I'm okay. a true cougar through <laughs> and through. Um, so he was in his undergrad and then he applied to law school. We ended up going to Idaho for law school. Mm-hmm. And it was a summer, uh, the beginning of the summer when he took an internship in Colorado um, when I found out I had the cancer. Okay. 
So that how long into your marriage at that point? Just a few years. Um, four years. Four years. Yeah. Okay. And how many, how many kids did you have? We had one. Point? No, we had sorry, we had two, <laughs> and I was pregnant. Okay, yeah. so you this you're pregnant with number three. Yeah, yeah. When you get the news, <laughs> yeah. so was that? I mean, what was that like? Or how did you find out? What was just, you? Yeah, first... so we had just gotten to Colorado. We're so excited. We moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, which is a really cool college town. We were so we were really excited about it. Um, about ten days in, I. I had had pain really bad. I was nursing my second child. So what I thought was mastitis mm-hmm. um, just wasn't going away. And so due to insurance, I had to go to the ER um, to check it out. They gave me some medicine, didn't work, went back a week later. And then they said, you need to rule out, you need to have a biopsy to rule out cancer. Hmm. As soon as you said that, I knew I had cancer. Really? Yeah, just the intuition. Like... My impression was I have this cancer. I have it. So I had to wait a few weeks and then go back to Idaho because of insurance issues. So I went all the way back to Idaho with my kids. Uh, My mom actually ended up coming with me and um, they did the biopsy and um, met with my physician who had delivered uh, my second child who Mm -hmm. had a good relationship. Okay. And she is the one who gave me the news that I had breast cancer. What's, I mean, what is that like when they tell you those uh, words? I mean, I feel like it's something you, not that you like always fear, but you hear stories about other people and you, you think it's never going to happen to you. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is the emotion like when those words actually come mm-hmm. out of their mouth for the first time? Um, it feels like an out of body experience. Like I'm not really in this room hearing this, right? Uh-huh. Uh, for me, I'm not a super emotional person. I feel like I've become more emotional because of cancer. <laughs> But um, I bawled. I was, I bawled. I bawled and um, when I finally gathered myself, I was, I said to her, okay, let's do this. What's next? What do I do? I was just like, let's go fight this Uh and let's, um, how do I get to the end where I don't have it anymore? I just wanted to know the plan and get going and get over this. I wanted, I wanted it to be gone. Yeah question why did why me why did it happen to me like I'm not not that this matters because um cancer is no respecter of persons but I felt like I've always been a really healthy person and um you know I don't drink soda a lot um I drink a lot or I eat a lot of chocolate but we all have our vices yes I'm just you know questioning why did this happen and um Mm -hmm. But I was definitely prepared to fight it, and I wanted to fight it, yeah. whatever it took. Yeah. Was were, Did they give you some sort of hope or optimistic outlook at yes. least at that point? Because even as serious as breast cancer is, and I think that's one of the more serious ones, it's still, people do beat it, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not... It's in your breast, so you can have a surgery and take it out, yeah. right? And so that's what we did. Um, and at the time, there was no signs of it spreading, so... Okay. Um, I, so the plan was because I was pregnant, I had to wait a few weeks to get into my second trimester. Because if, you can't just do normal treatment. You with... can, but you have to wait to your second trimester. Oh, okay. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, didn't I know had, that. you know, what adriamycin cytoxin is one of the um, heaviest chemo drugs. They call it the red devil. It's red. Ooh. And they just like just push it right into you. Um, it. Uh, was really hard, but I was able to do it while being pregnant. Um, and I was able to keep my baby, which I, I assumed as soon as I found out I had cancer, which was just after I found out I was pregnant. Oh, wow. So it was, um, you were still in the first trimester finding yeah, that out. Yeah. Yeah. I assumed I would have to abort. I uh-huh. mean, I was shocked when they told me that I could keep the baby. Yeah. The sad news was that I couldn't have any more children. Okay. We planned on having more kids. Uh-huh. Um, but I was just really happy that I had yeah. you know, the one that I was pregnant with. Yeah. And is, do you know, is all cancer, are they different types? Is it because it was breast cancer, you were able to get a specific type of treatment that did allow you? or Because I know if you get like radiology yes. for certain yes. treatment, that would be a different right. case for if you were pregnant. Right. You can't have radiation and there are certain chemo drugs that you can't have. That's true. Okay. Like the Taxol, um, I couldn't have until I, after I delivered the baby. Okay. So, but they do have, you They know, give you as much as you could yeah. to start and then would up the dosage or up the different types of different drugs afterwards. After. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, but I had, so I had the age, they call it AC. It was pretty intense. And then I had the surgery, the mastectomy, mm-hmm. um, 
about a month before I delivered. Uh, so I had about a month where I didn't have any uh, chemo or yeah. any treatment going on. And then I delivered the baby and he was perfectly healthy, which is amazing. Man, so, that's a yeah. miracle all on its own, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> having him come out healthy after maybe fearing the worst. For sure. got the cancer news and then yeah. worried for a baby. I'm sure that was a really good piece of uh, turn of events that happened yeah. there. For sure. In fact, his middle name is Milagre, uh-huh. which is miracle in Portuguese. In Portuguese, probably, right? Both my husband and I um, used to live in Portugal. so. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a pretty cool thing. It's something he'll keep with him then, always. Yeah. He's a little none of my child. Kids, none of my kids can pronounce it, but <laughs> <laughs> someday they'll be able to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so how long then, baby's born healthy, you're cancer-free at that mm-hmm. point. How long do you, you live like that until something else comes yeah. along? So... Baby's born, before baby's born, I could never get a scan. Mm-hmm. So I never knew what stage I was in. So for cancer, there's stage one, two, three, or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to wait till after I delivered the baby to find out my stage. They assumed it was at least a 3B based on the size of my uh, tumor in my breast. Okay. It was quite large. Um, and I had a scan after the baby was born. Um, and it was inconclusive. They couldn't decide if it was stage four or stage three B, so that was really just in limbo even more. Yes, I was. It's I had such anxiety over finding out the news. Basically, am I gonna live or am I gonna die? Like that's what it felt like. Because live, stage die. four cancer is terminal, die. right? I right. mean, that's what when they describe something as being terminal, that's stage four. Right. So because they were unsure, they just treated me as if I was stage four. So mm-hmm. they gave me some stronger drugs. Um, and I did that for about a year. Uh, but then I finally had a clear scan. Um, it was conclusive evidence that Uh it was an unremarkable scan, which means that there was no, I had no cancer. And that to me was a miracle. Yeah. Because before they always found things, um, even though they couldn't decide if it was stage four or not. Uh Anyway, um, so I had... The, um, I was cancer free for a year. Okay. And then after a year, uh, my scan came back and it had spread to my bones. And was, how was it you found that out? You went in just for a routine checkup for and they saw more? scan, yeah. A scan a for pet, that. Full body PET scan. And, um, it spread to my lower back. Um, and that was, uh, when we were living in northern nevada my husband took a job there we thought we'd live there forever right next to lake tahoe Mm -hmm. we loved it um and we got this scan and my doctor says to me you are probably gonna live two to five years that's what he told me at the time he gave you a life sentence yeah yeah um it was shocking and i will never forget that car ride home from the doctor's office to our house with my husband. Uh-huh. Um, it was suddenly if it felt like, I mean, it just felt like everything kind of shrank and I, um, started talking about what it is I wanted to do with my time left. You know, uh-huh. we talked about going on this cruise that we'd always talked about going on a cruise in the Mediterranean sea. Yeah. And we talked about, um, all the things that we wanted to do with our time left and, uh-huh. and uh, it was very emotional and I remember my husband um, you know reaching over and holding my hand in the car and I remember thinking I don't want to let go of his hand because I don't know how many more times I'm going to hold his hand. Mm -hmm. Suddenly everything became measurable. How many more times would I um, go out on a a date with my husband? How many more times would I watch my kids play soccer or dance or do anything that I love doing? How many more times? How many more days? How many more everything? It just, everything, I just started to measure in my head. And um, it really threw me into depression, for sure. I'm sure. Um, which is pretty normal, you know, for yeah. cancer patients. Uh-huh. 
um, just thinking of the worst and feeling stuck and feeling like you can't do anything about it because you can't do anything about it. Uh-huh. Did you feel like you're even able to like grasp, like get your head around that? It just seems like it's, I mean, you feel, you probably felt the same from one day to the next, but right. you know, all of a sudden you wake up today and, and you only have a few years to live. Right. And it's not like I had any symptoms. I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't hurting. I had no idea. Um, it was just a routine scan. So it took the doctor visit at the beginning when he was talking to me. I didn't get it. It, it. He had to keep saying it to me. Like, I don't think you understand the severity of this. He mm-hmm. kept saying that to me. Yeah. <laughs> because for me, I just want to joke around and um, make light of it. Like, make light of everything. And um, he kept telling me, yeah, you need to stop joking around. I don't think you understand. Yeah. Um, so that's when it kind of hit me after he kept saying that to me. And then in the car ride home, just thinking about it. And it just felt like nothing mattered anymore. Uh-huh. Everything else you thought was a worry or a stress yeah. probably seemed yeah. like such a smaller fraction of a, of a problem than it was before. Right. Yeah. These things that we get so caught up in and you know, from what, how we look and what are we wearing and, um, comparing ourselves to other people and my friend's doing this, this person's doing that. And it just doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And that, um, death sentence, if you will, gave me the opportunity to reevaluate what I do with my time and, Uh um, what I do with my mind. What am I thinking about? What am I worrying about? I shouldn't worry about that anymore. Yeah. And in fact, you saw my house. It's a mess. <laughs> and I just decided that I used to be very, um, that used to be very important to me to keep a clean house uh-huh. and to be super organized, which I still like to do. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is I have three kids. Okay. And they destroy the house and I'm wasting my time following them around, trying to clean up everything. Mm-hmm. Because instead I could just be playing with them. Yeah. Or doing something with them or getting things done that matter. Yeah. And so um, that's one thing that I have tried to change is not worrying about it so much. If someone comes over and they see it, I'm not stressed out. Mm-hmm. Where before I'd be so embarrassed, <laughs> you know. And uh, I hope other people do that too so I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. My wife more so likes to have it picked up and stuff. And people are coming over. I'm like, yeah. I mean, this is this is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got a baby. Like, yeah. so you know, he's gonna tear up the house. Anyone who has kids will understand. If yes. they don't, who cares? But yes. yeah, I think men have an easier time with letting that go. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably, absolutely. What was it hard? How did you go about then at that point? I mean, obviously, your husband was in the room with you for the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. What about having to explain that to your children? How does how do you explain something so heavy to mm-hmm. like a young child? Right. We actually didn't. My my kids are pretty young. Uh-huh. So at the time, this is in 2015. Okay. My oldest is five. Yeah. And then uh, three, and then two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. Um, we haven't, we didn't start really telling them until they're a little bit older. Okay. So maybe they, what they knew is that I had cancer uh-huh. and they knew that mommy was bald. Yeah. You know, and especially when they see pictures of me now, Yeah. they, they know that they know that I was bald. I had no hair because I was sick and I had cancer, you know? And you did that with the chemo treatment. Yeah. And when you shaved your head, is that why you had to Yeah. Do it well, I lost my hair. Okay. You know, it was, fell out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I lost my hair um, when I was pregnant and going through the, the chemo, which mm-hmm. was a sight to see. Yeah. My big belly and then my <laughs> no hair on, up top. Yeah. So I was definitely, um, people knew who, we lived in Idaho in a small town in northern Idaho, so people definitely knew who I was. Yeah. You know? Which is, I feel like that's even just, that's an outward sign that when you see a woman with a shaved head. It says so much, right? It's just, yeah. that's, it's cancer. People yeah. usually know. It's when they don't have eyebrow, you know, uh-huh. you can tell they don't have any hair anywhere. Yeah. And so I have a soft spot for people like that now. Uh-huh. And I don't, one thing that I learned about that too is that, um, 
I felt like people were always staring at me, especially because I was pregnant too, right? Yeah. So, so unique. And I remember um, people would always stare at me and I felt like they didn't know what to say. Yeah. And so I always would take the initiative to start a conversation. Because I think, you know, sometimes people get offended by people staring at them. Um, but I think people genuinely, genuinely have a good intent to know what's going on and they mm-hmm. want to... They have a genuine curiosity or um, uh, not necessarily to judge me or, you yeah. know. They just don't have the full story. They're curious yeah, and they don't, they don't know what to say. Yeah. People just never know what to say. And so I um, would always take the initiative of, of talking to them. <laughs> look, look, let's make this less awkward. Yes. Let's put it out there. I'm exactly. pregnant. I have cancer. Yes, exactly. I'm dealing with it. Let's, so. let's move on. What's your name? Yes. <laughs> Something like that. Right. Yeah. So how do you, what happens next? I mean, what, Yeah. how do you keep dealing with this? Yeah. So, um, after I got the metastatic, the stage four diagnosis, um, we knew we had to move somewhere we had, where we had more support. We loved where we lived in Lake Tahoe, but we didn't Uh have any family. No one's there close by. Yeah. And we didn't love the doctor. So we went doctor shopping. Okay. We found a doctor here in Utah. And that's why we moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my treatment now is pretty fairly simple. I just take um, uh, medicine every day, and I um, I have injections, and I actually um, I have received radiation right away on the cancer that was in my bones. Okay. Um, and that helped, and that worked um, because I've actually received. Um, six clear scans in a row. Okay. Um, so that means that I am NEAD, which stands for no, no evidence of active disease. No evidence of active disease. Right. Okay. How can you how can you explain that? Like, what does that mean in someone who doesn't understand anything about medical terms? Is there is there an easy way to? Yeah. So explain basically, that? because I'm stage four. Um, I can't go into remission or be cured. It's incurable. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the best thing I can get, and I've got it. So um, I am in the best position as a um, stage four cancer, breast cancer patient. Yeah. yeah. And so um, my... Which that seems like it's a, a small win, a small miracle in its own, For right? Sure. I mean, it's just at least it's not getting worse. For or sure. something like that, maybe. It's... For sure. So, I, I, you know, like I said, I've had six clear scans in a row. So it's been about um, almost two years of clear scans. And so I sometimes forget what's going on with me. Yeah. Because do you have anything? I mean, does your cancer affect you on a daily no. basis at all? You don't feel physically any different no. necessarily. Yeah. Um, I've had to do some, like I had a hysterectomy last year. I had okay. to get my ovaries removed okay. for the treatment. Yeah. For the medicine, um, they had to put me in menopause, um, you know, but other than that, I just take my medicine every day. My body's so used to taking the medicine that I'm, I'm fine. You know, I, um, I've, my heart has been damaged, uh, and so I have to take heart medicine for that. Um, and, um, you know, there's always the thought that it could come back at any time. And so I, um, they have me on some, some medicine in preparation for that, Mm -hmm. but my, my body's been acclimated to um, being okay with it. Yeah. I mean, if there's any, any good news that can come after the initial terrible news, seems like that's the best case scenario of the worst situation. Right. Yeah. My doctor called me a walking miracle. And so I'm just hoping I get as many clear scans. Yeah. Keep that going going as long as you can. Because yeah. then based off what your what your doctor said too, it was kind of like that five years to maybe 10, ten years could yeah. be like a best case scenario at that point. But yeah. at this point, you just hope each time you go in for a scan, all you can control is like hoping that it stays clear for mm-hmm. the time being. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of, how does that adjust your outlook? Because I know you said it, it changed your perspective, but what kind of things do you actually start doing once you get a stage four diagnosis? Like what have you actually, what actually things did you start changing in your life? Like, okay. Yeah. You know, different than what other people think of you and things like that. You stop worrying about all those irrelevant things that Mm -hmm. you can't control. What kind of stuff did you guys do for yourself as a family and things that immediately changed? 
I feel like so much has changed. Uh-huh. Um, I used to uh, be very um, frugal with my money and save my money. <laughs> I never spent my money. And, um, you know, we've been through hard financial times. Um, and with, you know, when we were first married, I was going through a foreclosure and short sale. Oh, okay. There were my houses. And uh-huh. I, you know, we incurred a bunch of grad school debt. And, um, but, you know, we could have spent money on doing things together. Yeah. You know, but I just would never do that. So I think cancer has taught me that it's okay. Like, it's okay to spend money to create memories. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that doesn't mean I go out and buy, like, all the brand new clothes and shoes. And I, I don't do that still. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for Christmas, what we've done is buy some gifts at the thrift store for my kids because they're too young to know any different. (laughs) (laughs) Just the act of getting something for them is great, right? Yeah, like to open it, that's the fun part. So we get like used puzzles and (laughs) um, some toys and games and books Uh at the thrift store. And then we'll spend our money on, um, you know, last year we went up to Midway in Utah and uh, we went tubing and we went sledding and we... Um, did a bunch of fun things um, out there mm-hmm. and we d- would, went on a train train ride and um, we cr- want to create memories for our kids yeah. and create traditions and mm-hmm. um, take them to see places in the world. Yeah. Which is a hard thing with money in general to try and keep in perspective when you're living a regular life because you know you start thinking oh I gotta save for future, save for rainy day, like all these different things but like what is money if not just an avenue to create memories? Mm-hmm. It's something I feel like the older I get, the more I'm starting to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm always looming in the back of my mind or they, t- you know, start preparing for retirement or do this right. or that. And, you, you know, you have to kind of prepare for that. But uh, fancy clothes, like you're saying, you know, go buy all that stuff or nice new things or mm-hmm. all this or that. None of that, when death is staring you in the face, like you can't take any of that with you. Mm-hmm. All you have is your memories and you have your relationships with the people that are close to you and stuff like that. Right. Which is, you know, if, if money isn't to provide those and make that better, then, you know, what else are you working for? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I think there's a happy medium of trying to figure it out. Yeah. But I just think of, you know, this analogy of if you had all this money and you kept saving it because you're a saver and you're um, financially smart, um... And so you save all your money your whole life and you never, you're never spending it because you're always saving. You're always saving. And then, so at what point are you ever going to spend it? It's just sitting there, right? Yeah. And so if you're not using it to do good things, mm-hmm. um, including making memories with your loved ones, then what is the point? Yeah. And so I, I just kind I came to that realization that, you know, we may have to work harder in the future. But we're doing it now. We're yeah. doing it now because the, I don't know how much time I'm going to have. And yeah. if we just keep saving our money for whatever it is that actually might be important, mm-hmm. we're missing out on some things now Yeah. that we may or may not need money for in the future because we may increase yeah. our income or, you know, whatever it is. I, I just, um, I think there's definitely a fine line. We can't just go on vacations all year, yeah. right? But <laughs> Be irresponsible. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, we are conscious of it. We That's why we go to the thrift store for Christmas, for birthday. Like, we just know that it's not important to have nice things. Mm-hmm. We want to um, go to nice, you know, go do nice things with our kids. Yeah. And go, um, you know, it could be really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, not that It doesn't always cost money. Yeah. Go on road trips. Yeah. Um, go to the... In the mountains or whatever it is, but I've really, I've really learned the value of that, um, and not worrying so much about saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I've done is uh, I created a bucket list. Okay. Um, and I wrote it down. I have a blog that I um, write on, and I wrote it on there, not thinking that I would actually do all these things, but I just yeah. thought, you know what? If I could, if there was nothing in the way, this is what I would love to do. Yeah. 
And so I've had the opportunity because I wrote it and put it out there into the universe. Uh huh. Start um, doing some of the stuff actually. Yeah. yeah. And people helping me to do it. Really? What What are What are some of this? What's some of the stuff on the list? Um, I've knocked off quite a bit. Um, okay. I've gone to a lantern festival as a family. Okay. Um, I have uh, gone skydiving. Amazing. Which I didn't really want to do, but I thought everyone has <laughs> to have that on that. their bucket list, right? Yeah. That's like mandatory. How was that? Um, so scary. Yeah. <laughs> have you done it? Yeah, I went once. Which is the funny story in that. We did. We actually bought a Groupon uh-huh. for skydiving. Which okay. Even that, saying that out loud, like sounds crazy. And they had to cancel on us two different times because the plane was malfunctioning. And I go, well, now I know why this is on Groupon. And we were driving up there. Oh, and I, my gosh. And, and I was like... Guys, are we sure this is a good idea? I mean, it worked out okay. Yeah. We're fine now. Yeah. But maybe don't oh, buy wow. your skydiving to get your yeah. group on it. Don't try go cheap on that. Saving a penny oh. skydiving is not the best place to do that. But anyway, yeah, for, it was a rush. It was amazing. For sure. I loved for sure. it. I did it in New Zealand. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the highest drops in New Zealand. And oh, man. Do you I... do stuff like that? Are you a thrill no. seeker or heights or anything uh, like that? No, I am so scared of heights. Yeah. So scared. So that's why I knew I had to do it. I was actually over there for a basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing basketball again, which is, has been really cool. Um, and a group of us former teammates played in this world, what's called the World Games in New Zealand. Okay. And um, the city of Auckland uh, offered to me um, an opportunity. They wanted to do a story on me, uh-huh. just w- with what's going on. And and they offered to do anything I wanted to, that they would pay for it. Um, whatever I wanted to do in the city, that, that they would pay for it, as long as I could do a, a story. Oh, that's awesome. And so I'm like, okay, let's think of the most expensive, <laughs> the scariest thing that I could do. Yeah. I'm like, okay, it's skydiving, let's yeah. do it. So a few of my teammates and I did that. And Amazing. Well, New Zealand's such a beautiful country, too. So I'm beautiful. sure that's a, one of the... It's, Flying down towards the earth that you know the fastest so we can go. I'm sure that was an amazing yeah. sight. If you could take in the you know the beauty of it, I don't know. Yeah. Air uh, the the face. person who was with me spun me. Uh-huh. That was the problem because I have motion sickness and I oh, wanted yeah. to throw up. If I if you didn't spin me, I would have loved it. I think. Yeah. So, if you are have motion sickness and you're listening, <laughs> tell them spin. And you go skydiving. Tell them beforehand. Do not spin me. Yeah. But um, that was incredible. Um, okay. The number one thing on my bucket list was to go to the North Carolina at Duke bas- men's basketball game. Yeah, okay. Anyway, if you're a basketball fan at all, you know right there. That's yeah. like the mecca for, yes. for basketball. Biggest rivalry in sports, in my opinion, uh-huh. which it's a pretty good opinion, I okay. feel like. Yeah. Um, and are you, were you a fan of, are you a North Carolina or a Duke fan either way? I've always way, been a Duke like... fan. I've okay. always been a Duke fan. I've always respected North Carolina, <laughs> but I've always been a Duke fan, so... Uh, Some people might feel differently about your story, based on I know, <laughs> who right? you cheer for, just well, because of that. That's how serious it is. Yeah. North Carolinians will hate me. Yeah. But I will say I'm a converted Tar Heel fan now. Really? Because of my experience there. It was a week, it was a week-long basketball fantasy yeah um this is when they played at cameron indoor at, at cameron Duke? indoor yeah okay so the buau coaches my former coaches um mm-hmm. surprised me one day in their locker room after a game telling me they had uh contacted coach k at duke and raised some money for us to go to fly there and have a rental car and a hotel and um Coach K responded to their request and obliged, and wow, um, it was an amazing week. Um, we went to a practice. We got to hang out with Coach K, uh-huh. who, as you may or may not know, is also the Olympics coach. Uh-huh. Like he's one of the greatest basketball coaches in college basketball history. Um, and we went to a pep rally where he introduced me to the Cameron Crazies, oh, the wow. student section. Yeah. At Duke, uh, he, I had this uh, also random connection to North Carolina, and so I started being in contact with them, and then they invited me to their practice the day before the game. (laughs) So I went to their practice, I met Coach Roy Williams, their head coach, and hung out with the um, players after practice, and I actually played pig with one of their best players, Joel Berry, who was the actually the most outstanding player of the Final Four last year. Wow. I played Pig, and I won. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Joel Berry. Yeah, this old, (laughs) washed-up mom, mother of three, beat this college athlete. 
Um, I did tell him he can't shoot anything at the three-point line or beyond. Okay. So. <laughs> Level the playing field a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And, like, no dunks or something, maybe. Right, right, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I don't have much strength anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a really fun experience. And then the game was just insane. I mean, more than I actually ever imagined yeah. which is i imagined something pretty incredible yeah oh, i feel like that is for most sports fans in the world even like i'm not a huge college basketball fan mm-hmm. but that's like any game i want to go to that's probably like yes. top five and you can't get tickets Easy. yeah oh it's you impossible you can't get they're sold it's they camp sold out, out for, for like weeks right yeah. to get tickets the students camp out for a month and a month, and then geez. they don't always even get in do they do they... like a raffle even then right do you camp no, out with your name in a drawing or something maybe um it's actually like this really complicated system that they have. Yeah. Um, that it, it, it would be a podcast in <laughs> So we can break that down next um, time, maybe. <laughs> they have this wall of like all the rules and policies of what they call Shishetskyville, which uh-huh. is where the students camp out. But um, they have like line monitors. Anyway, it's this complicated system. But there's actually no seats where they're sitting. They have to stand the whole time, and not only do they have to stand, they have to turn sideways. So they could fit more people in. Amazing. And it's just cramming. So when they're in line at on the game day, they get in and they just, however many can fit in. And then if you don't make it, you don't get in. Wow. And uh, it's just an incredible... That is part of why I think I'm obsessed with Duke. Yeah. Is the Cameron Crazies. It's so cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a small arena um, that only so many people could fit in. And that's why it's so cool. Man. And you get to do that. Not only that, like meeting the coach, meeting coaches, meeting the players. Yeah. Being there. What, that's... Yeah, Amazing there's experience. no. I didn't think in a million years I would get get tickets to that. Yeah. So I did, and I just. Yeah. I still. Not that that makes any of it worth it, but yeah, you know, a benefit, a perk of even the smallest kind that could be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. People really uh, have been so kind to our family. Yeah. Um, and just you know, hooking us up with things yeah. or just doing service for us. I mean. I could go on and on about yeah. all the things that people have done for us. Uh-huh. They've been so kind. That, and that's another thing that it's taught me is when someone's in need of help, um, to not just to, to say to them, hey, let me know if you need anything, but to step up and actually do just something. Just do it. You know? Mm-hmm. Don't say, hey, let me know if you ever need a dinner. Or say, hey, would Tuesday or Wednesday work for dinner? Yeah. bringing you dinner uh-huh. which day would work better for you yeah which even that the, the the whole idea too when people are you know like uh, like we'll keep you in our prayers like right. which is great and it's right. appreciated appreciated but the act of doing something right. and mm-hmm. just not accepting no for an answer and just doing it i think can make such an impact in people's lives yes because they'll always say no i'm fine i don't need it they'll always right i always said that yeah it took a while to realize that actually i need to say okay this is what i need help with mm-hmm. you know i think that's a very humbling experience that um that it's taught me as well yeah that i need to let people serve me um so that they can feel they can feel that yeah that gift of service for people yeah absolutely so let me ask you so as you as you're doing this too like i just feel like it's a it's a mindset that you can't even really understand without going through it is there part i mean is it just knowing once they told you that that there was up to five years or something Mm -hmm. like that even knowing you know it's not certain does that like on a day-to-day basis or even just long-term you think about like i mean does it scare you to know that or what is is there a fear involved with it or what Mm -hmm. what goes through your mind when that kind of looms large even after you have great experiences Mm -hmm. at cameron indoor and with your kids right. and stuff like that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's still there. How do you deal with the emotional, you know, stress of that? Yeah, I I think um, it definitely took me a while, like I said, to get to a point where I'm at peace with things. Yeah. And I think what that means for me is that um, I, my belief system is that when I die that I will still, my spirit will still live mm-hmm. and I will still be around nagging my kids. <laughs> they just won't see me. Yeah. Um, and so that hope, mm-hmm. I mean, that's all I have to hang on to is that hope mm-hmm. um, and the faith that I have in that, in that belief system that that is what's going to happen. And that is what I hang on to and that is what has given me the peace of, of handling the the um 
the, my situation, you know, and there are times, you know, there's times, like I said, where I forget that I even have cancer. Um, I feel healthy, I look healthy, and that's, you know, the interesting thing about stage four cancer. Um, I've kind of gone through the hard stuff, yeah. um, and I've kind of beat what I could mm-hmm. um, with surgery and chemo and, you know, in and out of the hospital. When I was going through that um, first round of chemo when I was pregnant, uh, most of my time I spent in the hospital because I was always getting sick, and um, I didn't, I couldn't stay home. I would always go in and out of the hospital, and... Um, you know, now that I'm in this good place where I feel healthy and like I could be active, um, people don't, don't talk to me about it as much. You know, when I was bald, it was definitely, that's what we were always talking about. Yeah. You know, to the point where sometimes I was tired of it. Yeah. Um, but now I'm in this position where I've been given this second chance almost, you know, with all my clear skins. Um, with more time. That's all I have is more time. Mm-hmm. You know, with every clear scan I get, I get a little bit more time put on at the end. And I can only um, hope to keep continue, continually getting that. But I also, um, you know, I also know that it could come at any, any day. Any day now, it could come back. And it could come back with a vengeance and I could be gone in a few months. Yeah. And so those times where I am thinking about it and it is heavy, it's, um, you know, it's really, it is really hard. And, um, but I have to remember uh, my belief system. Yeah. And I have to remember I don't necessarily, I am not necessarily in control of everything. And to, um, it's a reminder for me to stop saying someday Hmm. someday someday you'll do this you'll do that yes and so that is kind of my mantra that i can't i can't do that anymore i used to be that person i'm Uh i'm invincible i will not die till i'm 90 i'm healthy (laughs) i'm you know so i can do all these things later i will take that vacation later i will um you know so it's taught me just to go after what i want now and be confident in it you know and and not compare myself because that's something that I personally have struggled with I think most people have um you know a self-esteem issue like Uh oh I can't you know I can't do that I can't start a nonprofit, and I did it and I can't start a business or this and that and I am trying to do these things that I've wanted to do but I was too scared or I thought it would be someday when I get um you know, when I become smart or when I, <laughs> when I have a lot of money or when, you know, this and that, when it li- when the stars yeah. align. But, um, I think it's taught me just to go after what I want to now yeah. and make my life how I want to now and not wait, yeah. not wait around. Well, there's always going to be a someday there's, you know, there's like an endless amount of some days that you could do that. But when that endless number gets taken away and it's a more of a finite thing. I imagine you realize that yeah, I only have so many of those left. Mm-hmm. Why? Like I can't wait, or I'm not going to yeah. get to do that. Yeah. That must be a total shift of perception and everything like that. For sure, and it's something that I feel that it's been a gift to me. Like mm-hmm. this perspective has been, quite honestly, a gift. And I finally realized I'm really grateful for cancer. Really, it sucks. You, it sucks that yeah. I have this um, terminal illness. That's going to kill me at some point in my life. Someday it will kill me. But if it weren't for cancer, I would not have this perspective. Mm-hmm. I would not understand the importance of making things happen now. And for that, Man, I'm, I can't. I'm like, I'm just like, like that. Like hit me so hard. I can't even imagine. That's such an amazing perspective to have. Like it's, I can see just hearing you talk about it too. I mean, your faith in God. And knowing that, because you really have to put everything in his hands right now. Right. There's not much you can control. If it right. comes back, that's out of your hands. If it stays away forever, that's an, a miracle and a blessing. But you just have to trust now that that's just, when it's your time, it's your time. Mm-hmm. Right? And in, in, in the meantime, you're going to do anything and everything you can to be happy and spend time with your family and stuff like that. I just That's remarkable. I don't think you, I mean, I'm sure you do understand, but <laughs> I think people just 
hearing this will be just blown away by that perspective. Yeah. It's so unlike anything else I've ever heard. So mm-hmm. my hat's off to you. On Thank that. you. It's amazing. Your hat is on. Yeah. <laughs> Coming um, off. You can't see this right now on the podcast. <laughs> the hat came off for a bit, but yes. Yeah. No, I feel like... I, <laughs> With and, David right there. This humor, everybody. This is... <laughs> Melanie is a one-of-a-kind type of person. This is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean... Um, I just feel like I've been given that perspective and I need to share it with people. And I, it's like, how do you teach someone who doesn't have the same, um, who doesn't have the same illness, like mm-hmm. who hasn't been told they have so much time to live? How do you convince them to like get on with their life? Yeah. What right? do you say? Is there a thing you say? I don't say know. I haven't figured it out. And yeah. so, but I, I, I'm trying my best and I try to talk to people about it, yeah. um, wherever I can and, with my friends, with yeah. strangers, yeah. With, um... Which and so you did start writing a blog, mm-hmm. too, right? You've you've done this where you've talked about a lot and shared thoughts and different things yeah. along the way, um, and that that has to do now with the stop saying someday, mm-hmm. right? Is that where people can find and read about this? Stuff yeah, and... stop saying someday um, and then my Which... Instagram account, I uh-huh. talk about it. Um, Melanie Day is my Instagram account, but yeah, I try to share you know as much as I can. I've um, spoken at a couple different things to share that message but um you know going back to what you're saying about I, I feel like uh I um you know I, I can only take it day by day mm-hmm. and and if you were in the situation I feel like you would handle it as well because people say that to me oh, I can never handle it the way you're handling it and and I say to them Yes, you can. Like, you're not in that position. Yeah. You handle life. What You have hard things that you're going through. They're just different. And this one is a little bit more out there. A lot of people suffer from, you know, internal illnesses that no one knows about. Um, so many people suffer from depression that we don't know about. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, they're showing up in life. And people are showing up in life and just taking it one day at a time. And that's... Mm-hmm. That's all we can do. And um, so I feel like when people say that to me, I just want to say to them, yes, you can. And you are, yeah. you know, you are, you're doing it. You're doing life. Yeah. I just wonder too, I mean, because of that perspective that when you shorten the amount of days you have left mm-hmm. to a more of a finite type of level, I just wonder if, if that change that makes it in a sense, easier to get things done because otherwise I feel like I, so many times I'm staring at mm-hmm. the rest of my life. Or the thought of my career, like I'm going to be doing, you know, what I do for work for 30, 40 more years. And it's like, it's so daunting mm-hmm. to that. It, you inevitably go to this place of, well, I'll get, you know, I'll worry about that later mm-hmm. when I, to use your own words, when I get smart or, you know, yeah. become smart or whatever you said. Yeah. But when you don't have that, you, you immediately take that away. And I don't know that you can gain that fully without having something like this staring at you. you know, but I think if, if there's anything we as as listeners of this can try to do is like, we don't need a, a, a terminal diagnosis mm-hmm. to try and at least change that perspective. Right. Do everything we can to appreciate every single minute and hour and day mm-hmm. that we have here yeah. and get as much done as we can. Right. And I think you're right. I, I think you said that, that you don't have to have a terminal illness uh-huh. to have that perspective. You don't. Cause I've thought a lot about that. Yeah. And I thought, do you have to? Do you do you need this? Is that why we're given these mm-hmm. um, trials? Is uh, to give us this perspective? And if you don't have this trial, you can't have that. And and I think the answer is no. I think um, if you're listening, that no, you and you don't have this exact trial. You have your own trials that are teaching you things. Um, but I think that what we have to all remember is that we all have a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And We're all that dying. It's ultimately. called death. Yeah. yeah, we are we are all going to face death mm-hmm. at some point. And so we've got to look at the end of our lives and whatever it is that we believe, whatever it is that you believe that will happen after your life, this earth life. Whatever it is, you have to take a good look at that and let that motivate you to do what you want now. Yeah. Because like you said, we can't just put things off and say I'll do that. Yeah. And and why not be happy now? Why not start a podcast <laughs> and do what you think you will love doing now? I think that's what so many of us are missing is the opportunity 
to go after the things that will bring us joy. Yeah. And not be scared. Yeah. Which I wonder, so I feel like one of the greatest fears that people have is death, right? Like looming, mm. not mm. knowing when, not knowing where, because we know people that have, with, with accidents or different things, like you could go any day. Right. Cancer or not, like mm. accidents happen, right? Do you think the way that you've been given this, and I know you said you're grateful for cancer, which is, that sentence alone is like such a cognitive dissonance, yes. but um, do you think knowing that, that you're, instead of the rest of us thing, like what could be any day, if you're staring at two to five years or whatever, how long it takes, does that give you a different perspective than the thought of like that it could happen any other time? Because at least you at least know what to plan for. Mm-hmm. The rest of us pretty much are in the dark. Mm-hmm. We have no idea when our our time is going to come for to to die here on earth. Mm-hmm. Like, is there any peace in that? Do you think, and at least knowing, and then you can carefully. This is coming from me as mm-hmm. I think it's a planner mm-hmm. to like to know and and look at that. Does that give you any positive note? I think that I have an advantage because I have been told that I have so much time, whereas someone who um, can go quickly doesn't have the time to prepare mm-hmm. or uh, an accident happens. Yeah. Um, so I think I have an advantage because uh, I'm, I'm doing good now. I don't know how much I have time, how much time I have left, but I know it's coming Yeah. where, where the average person doesn't have an idea when they're going to die. And so they don't worry about it. And I'm not saying we need to worry about it, but we need to contemplate what that means. Yeah. What does it mean to you? And then um, make something happen because of that. But I think I definitely, I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel like I have an advantage. Yeah. Because I know. And and I, and I don't know how to um, convince people to, you know, live like that. But I think if you, if you had five years to live, I think you would change things. I mean, yeah, I don't sure. know you that I'm well. Sure. We just yeah. met today. <laughs> But I, I would bet that there's some things that you would immediately change in your life. Yeah. And so my question to you is, why not now? What's keeping you from doing it, yeah. right? Yeah, and what, why not? What is it? You know, is it really that important to hold on to whatever it is? I think a lot of times we're so conservative about things mm-hmm. that we, um, we don't go after it or we don't think we're worth it or, you know, whatever the excuse yeah. is. We all have the excuses in our brain. We're telling ourselves why we shouldn't do things. But I think, um, I think we, it would do serve us well to act as if we really had that death sentence, and then think, okay, what would I change? Yeah. And then start making the plans. Okay, let's make let's change it. Let's let's be happy. Yeah. What's stopping you from doing it now? Yeah. yeah, that's so amazing. Do you think what is it when you think about the future, especially like for your family, and when you might not be around? Mm-hmm. What is it the the, that you would want your kids to remember most about you or what the legacy you want to leave that when people remember you? Um, that I was really a really good shooter. <laughs> just knockdown um, shooter. Yeah, no. Um, they could just watch film of that. Yeah, no. that will be um, left behind. <sighs> That's a really good question. I think... It's really important to me that my kids treat other people um, equally. So I really want them to, no matter what the kids in their classroom look like or act like, um, that they will always be friends with them. Um, My... My do- my second daughter has uh, is on the autism spectrum. She's high functioning um, ASD, and uh, I worry about her. Um, you know, she's extremely bright, um, but socially, it's a little bit harder for her. And I just I know that. It's been a blessing. I think it'll be a blessing in our family because her siblings will will love her. They love her. And they will know how to deal with the weird kid. Because I think I, Marley is hilarious and so fun. Um, she just thinks differently. And 
sometimes it's a little weird. <laughs> but um, I, I really want my kids to know how important it has been to me to seek out that kid who might be a little bit different and to treat them the same as any other kid and to um, be friends with them and make them feel good. Yeah. You know, because I think, um, I look back at my life and there's been times in my life where I felt lonely or like the different kid or the new kid when I've moved and didn't have friends and, and I, because of that, I'm sensitive and I'm aware when people feel left out. And so my hope is that my kids will always be kind to, um, to everyone and no matter, you know, what they look like to not be afraid to go up to people who look different and to be good friends with them. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I, um, I don't know how you're able to have such a positive attitude about the hand you've been dealt. But it's impressive. Um, I think this story for other people will leave such a lasting impact. Um, and that, you know, what what your kids remember you for and what they learn from you and the type of people they go on, they will, no matter what happens, will be better as a result. Even mm -hmm. just having you as their mother and other people having, for your parents having you as their daughter and different things. For me, having you as a podcast guest, there's so much I think that we are all gaining from this and looking at something from such a unique perspective. Um, I feel like I'm already just analyzing so much in my life that I have never thought about, you know, and I've been talking to now several people about mm -hmm. different things that they've been through. And it has, it's, 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 I feel like I'm grateful more than anyone else, any of these listeners of any of the episodes of the podcast, like, because I get to sit down and hear firsthand what, how people can become better mm -hmm. in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm staring at you just you know you're staring down the barrel of a gun here and it's just like have with a smile on your face mm -hmm. you know um i think that's so amazing and you pulled out a lot of positive things to find that is there anything else you want to leave and share with people from finding a positive amidst all the negative that happens is there anything else you think from a if you you know are you familiar with the the concept of like the last lecture series where someone, it was this book written that he talked about, like, if you could give one last lecture mm. to everyone before you die. Oh, that's really cool. Um, what would be the one subject that you would talk about? Uh -huh. What would be the thing, more so than anything else you learn in this world, like, what would you leave behind? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little no, bit with yeah. that. Is there, is there something like that? I know it's similar probably what you just answered about your kids. Yeah. But, or, you know, some sort of what's the positive you pull from all this. If you could go back to the beginning, knowing what's about to come, what would you learn more than anything else from all of this? Yeah, I think I, you know, I've talked about it a little bit before, but I think it, it really boils down to, um, to stop saying someday. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the number one thing it's taught me and it goes with everything in life. Religiously. Um, if you, if you have been struggling with something that you need to repent about, do it. Mm -hmm. If you need to forgive someone. Do it. It'll, you'll be so much happier. Um, if you need to have that really hard conversation with somebody, stop saying someday. Mm -hmm. It serves no purpose. Yeah. Someday serves, serves no purpose. Um, we've got to start doing things now to be happy. And um, I, you know, and I'm not perfect about this. And so it's good for me to continually talk about it and to learn from it. But I, you know, there's been so many things in my life that have changed because of cancer and, and taking my own advice of to stop saying someday mm -hmm. and to make things happen. And, um, it's made me so happy and I just feel like so many people are unhappy because they're being too accommodating to other people or they're being too conservative or they're saving their money too much and never do anything. Um, instead of making things happen today um, and living how they should live, how they would love to live. And um, they have all the excuses in the book for it. And I think it's, you know, I think I would love, I love hearing people who have heard, who are friends of mine who know, you know, I'm talking about this and seeing the things they've done. 
-hmm. I had a friend that just got back from, she took a trip to France with her daughter. And um, I'm sure, you know, she told me I had a little bit of influence to do that. And that just makes me so happy to see people doing things that they wouldn't do otherwise because they're realizing this um, from the example of of me going through cancer. And that is so worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I it's think that's it. so amazing. I just yeah. think that to put that off and always think, well, I'll be, I'll be happy one day when I can do this or when yeah. I've achieved this or I've gotten to this status. Um, when really, what's keeping you from being happy and going after whatever you want? Right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for for yeah. doing this, sharing yeah. this. I know it, it's not always easy. I'm sure to talk about it, but I know something I, I read of yours. You put down though that when you started writing and blogging about it, that it was like therapeutic. For sure. To tell the story. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that, you know, it helps to just t- talk about it and, and, and look at things in a different perspective and stuff. And hopefully for everyone listening too, you know, when you hear this, you take this advice and don't worry about getting your own terminal illness. Just start making the changes now. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you can now and stop saying someday. Um, but Melanie, thank you so much for yeah. uh, sitting down and, and sharing this with everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening and, and asking me the question. You bet. <laughs> Thanks again to our guest, Melanie Day. I hope her story had the same impact on you as it did on me. Not many things in life can prepare you for something like that, but she has such a unique perspective on life, especially given the circumstances, and I think we're all better taking her advice and hopefully learning these things before we have to face a trial such as hers. Just a reminder for everyone listening as well, to leave us a comment and review on iTunes to help Spread the word about the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Silver Linings Podcast. Thanks for listening and talk soon.